All right. Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. We're doing the, the switch as the kids head out to their area. And we've got a lot of kids this week, so it may take a few extra minutes to get some of them settled in. Uh, two quick things I want to mention before you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 28. While you're turning there, next Sunday, Chris has already mentioned this, we'll be doing an outdoor service. Not exactly by design. Um, we did plan it in our calendar. There are actually this fall three different Sundays that we cannot be here at Circuit Playhouse. So that's why we are moving outside. We knew a couple of those. We always try to camp in the fall if we can. So we're doing the camping trip um, in November. And then we're actually having a big picnic and baptism Sunday, October 2nd. And so if you have not, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never gone public through Believer's Baptism, uh, we'd love to talk with you about that and tell you a little bit more why that's so important. And so we've got some folks that are going to be baptized that day. And then next Sunday, let me invite you. Uh, sometimes it's like, oh, they're outside. I don't know where that is. It's a good opportunity to skip. Uh, I just encourage you, please don't do that because these outdoor services are a great chance for you to meet people who are a part of the church who may not be in your missional community. You may have to hurry off after the gathering or they may hurry off. It's just a good chance for you to get to know some of the people here at Mercy Hill. Um, one thing I will mention, please bring a chair with you. We have a few chairs, but bring a chair or blanket. I'll remind you all this stuff in an email this week. And uh, we'll have a wonderful time worshiping outside and uh, sharing some stories together of Jesus' goodness and what He has done. Uh, one, one other thing, it's a, it's a busy season at Mercy Hill right now. There's a lot of great things that are going on. And one thing that I just wanted to make you aware of is the Barksdale house that we've been working on where our hope and our plan is to host single moms there in that home. We have a December 17th completion date and deadline so that we could have the holidays and then get some single moms in that home beginning at the first of the year. Work on that house continues every Saturday from 8 to noon. There's skilled labor and general labor. There's something that can be done. Um, so if you're interested, come out. We have a lot of fun. They cut a gas main this last week, and that was fun. It was marked incorrectly. It was not their fault, but five fire trucks later, they had great pictures to show and wonderful stories and memories. Right, Matt? Who can say they've cut a gas main? And yes, you can. Yes, you can. So um, the, the other really important part of that that I want to share with you, uh, you're going to see potentially as soon as this next week, uh, a, a crowd raising site go up that we're putting together, most likely through youcaring.com. And we're going to be raising money to go towards the ministry expenses of that house. And it's, there are a lot of expenses that we need um, just ministry-wise. But then because we have a hurried timeline to get it open, there's also some costs that we have in order just that we want to put into the property. And so all that will be explained. But I didn't want that site to come up and you say, we're raising money for the house. I haven't heard anything about it. So you're going to hear about it. And my hope and prayer is that God would just be gracious to us and... I, I'm praying that we can raise $25,000. Sounds like a lot of money, um, but I think God can do it. 
and that we would just be able to bless not only just those who are a part of this house, but maybe even future properties and that continued ministry through Safe Family. So you'll be hearing more about that this week. It's really, really exciting. If you have any questions, please come to us and ask. All right, Acts chapter 28. Acts 28. We are wrapping up the book of Acts today. It's kind of sad. Somebody said, do you know what you're doing next? And we do, we do. But um, Acts has been good. We've been here a year. And so let's look. Acts chapter 28. I'm going to start reading in verse 11, read to the end of the chapter. Follow along with me as I read. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Patoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him... They came to him at his lodging in great numbers from morning until evening. He expounded them, to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And this was his statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say... You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been, set, has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. Or is it? In the span of the last 12 months, we've covered the first 30 years of Christian history. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? 
Uh, and obviously, we could have done it a lot longer, but one of our philosophies is that if we stay in a book like Acts for three or four years, many of you will only live in Memphis for three or four years. You may get a job in another city, you move somewhere else, you've never heard a psalm, you've never heard a proverb, you've never heard a gospel. And so we try to move verse by verse through the scriptures, but move at a pace so that we get to see not just one particular type um, of of literature, but several different types. And so we've, we've moved at a pretty good clip and we've covered Acts uh, in this year. And in it, we've seen the ascension of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Paul's conversion and his calling and the three amazing missionary journeys that he went on, times in which he was shipwrecked, times in, times in which he was stoned. And I don't mean stoned, man. I mean stoned with real stones. And we've just seen so many different stories that have taken place. Paul, he stood before the council of Jerusalem and and many major, major decisions have taken place throughout this book. I mean, come on guys, we've seen the church give two thumbs up to pork and barbecue. How important is that? Remember Acts chapter 10? Peter sees a vision. If it weren't for that, The capital of Memphis, we're like the capital of of the world when it comes to barbecue, right? I mean, what significance would we have? This major stuff that's taking place here. There's a lot of important stories, but most importantly, here's what I don't want us to miss today. Without this book, we're not here. Do you realize that? How many culturally ethnic Jews do we have in the room? (laughs) No, none of us, right? Without this book, we're not here. And, and I listened uh, to, to a, a sermon this past week from Acts 28. It, it was important. Um, as I listened back, John MacArthur is now, he's getting to be an older guy, and he's taught through every verse in the New Testament. And if you've ever listened to John MacArthur, he's, amazing, he's an amazing Bible teacher. And as he preached through Acts 28, sometimes I'll go back and I'll listen to sermons as I'm preparing to preach. And as he, he preached through Acts 28, he, he brought this theme in his message, uh, this theme of the story continues. And as he was preaching it, I looked down at the podcast on my phone and he was preaching that sermon in 1975. And I thought, the story does continue. Because... He's preaching this passage in 1975. I was born in 1976. I'm going to be 40 this month. So for 40 years, I was sitting there listening to this whole sermon for an hour that MacArthur's preaching. He's talking about how the story continues. And I'm like, it's true. The story does continue because I can look back over the last 40 years of my life and I can see evidence of the grace of God, how the story has continued. Now, this is the fourth church plant I've been a part of. Four church plants later. Dozens of people who have been baptized. Uh, Multiple continents that I've been on on mission trips. Probably a dozen mission trips. Uh, A few handful of guys who are now vocational pastors that I've had the privilege to disciple and send on out. And they're now making disciples. And their disciples are making disciples. And, And I'm just little old me. I'm not anyone impressive. And I look back just over the last 40 years of my life and I'm like... It's true. This story continues. There is no end. There is a passing of Paul's life from this life to the next. But the gospel story continues. And if there's anything I want us to take away from today's sermon is that the story continues through you. We can call it Acts 29. What will the story of the gospel be through our lives? We see it continue today. 
But sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes we don't feel like the story's continuing through our lives. Sometimes we feel like, I, me, my little old life, what can I do? Especially in this world that we live in, a world that seems so dark and cold and dysfunctional at times, maybe at best, on a good day, dark and dysfunctional. I mean, I know it's Labor Day weekend and we have plans and we have barbecues and, and, and we just started watching football. And like we try to train ourselves and our minds to believe that, no, we've got it good. Things are, things are on the rise, right? I mean, we're eating Rotel and like things are going great. But the truth of the matter is that if you really get down to the facts, I mean, you don't even have to get outside of our city before you begin to see, I mean, stuff that's just, I don't know any other way to say it other than tragedy. Babies born into the world with withdrawals because they're drug and alcohol exposed in the womb. Saw one of those little babies last night. 30% of Memphis living in poverty. And for children, it's 47%. Nearly half of our kids in Memphis living in poverty. Half. Crime, poor education, a seemingly lack of character even at in the highest positions within our land, like we're just looking for somebody, is there anybody out there who still has character? Is there anybody who understands what the truth means anymore? They're pretty tough days that we're living in if we're really honest with ourselves. And, and it could be really easy for us to run and hide, to put up walls, to pull down our garage doors. Well, if we had garage doors, right? I mean, maybe a couple of you do, but yeah. We live in a city that continues to attempt to escape the problems. If you look at our city, it's amazing how large our city is. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the amount of land that we've continued to annex. Why? Because our tax base moves east and south. And they used to call it white flight. And now it's just called middle class flight. Because there's so many people who are trying to outrun high taxes and crime. And they're just trying their best to escape. But it's important for us as Christians to remember that the story of the gospel continues. That God is still on the move and that God... It, the strange thing about God is He seems to do His most dramatic work in the places that are darkest. See, the light of the gospel shines the brightest in the darkest of nights. And so when people say things like... Uh, why do you live in a place where it's hard? Why do you live in a place where there's a lot of poverty? Why do you live in a place where there's a lot of crime? My response is, I think that's where the gospel does its greatest work. Not that there isn't plenty of sin in the suburbs. Please don't hear me saying that. But that God has called us here in order to be a light. And today we look in the book of Acts and we see Paul laboring courageously in the darkest of cultures. Rome was a city that was... Filled with slaves. It was said that it was a city of two million people. One million of those were slaves. The other million were Roman citizens. But it was a city where there was a very, very minute, wealthy class of people. And the rich got richer. And the majority, almost everyone else who was poor, got poorer. And of those million who were Roman citizens who were not slaves, many of them had nothing to their name other than their citizenship. They could boast, oh, I'm a Roman citizen, but they slept on the streets. Many of them barely eat by, and the rich got richer, and the poor got poorer. Rome was a city of debauchery where very few rich, where, 
where there are so many people who struggled. It was a city filled with idolatry, with sin, with poverty, and with all types of evil, and Paul could not wait to get there. And that's where we pick up with Paul's story today. He longed to be in, in Rome. He was like a first responder. When everybody else who's running away from the fire, or they hear bullets and they're running in the other direction, Paul was like a first responder. He was rushing in. And he comes into the city of Rome, the cultural, political, influential capital of the known world, and he can't wait to share the gospel. And we pick up with a story in which Paul and this crew that had been shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Do you remember that? They'd been shipwrecked on the island of Malta. They'd all made it to shore. And we picked up reading. They'd stayed there three months. And finally, when winter passes over, so most likely December, January, February are gone. And there's a season where they can finally get back in a boat and sail. So they're in their third ship now because their ship was destroyed. And so they hop on a ship. And we pick up and we see really quickly that Luke once again begins to unload his journal for us in verses 11 through 14. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through those verses. They're really straightforward. But when you pick up in verses 15 and 16... You see that after they make their way to Rome, the Christians there hear of Paul's coming and they've traveled over 40 miles outside of the city just to go in to meet, to meet Paul in order to encourage him. And look at what verse 16 says. I'm sorry, verse 15. It says, On seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. That's an excellent practice, I think, for all of us, that when we see the evidence of God's grace in our life, God's grace is all around us, particularly the good deeds of the good people of the church, that we should thank God and take courage. That we should thank God realizing that all good gifts that come from above are from Him. And that we should take courage knowing that He will continue the work that He has begun. When we see the church at work, when we see evidence of God's grace, it should bolster our faith. We should rejoice. We pick up in the next verse. And this is important context for the rest of this passage. Look in verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That's really important context for this set of verses today. Paul was on house arrest. No ankle bracelet, mind you. He was chained to a guard. Most likely a guard who were on four-hour shifts. So these men would have front row seats to the greatest apostle and evangelist and New Testament writer to ever live. And he did some of his greatest work in these two years while he's imprisoned in Rome. He wrote the book of Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon. All while imprisoned in Rome. Can you imagine the exposure that they had to the gospel while being chained to Paul? Uh, listen to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 14, is it gives explanation as to the results of these men who were chained to Paul. In Philippians 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you see the amazing grace of God? That when you look at your circumstances that are around you, and in your 
mind's eye, when you say, I am chained to my circumstances, I am chained to my physical location, I, am, I, am, I have chains that I am carrying that the grace of God swoops in and says, I can even use you in the circumstances that you're in. I can even use the chains that you wear in order to, inv- to advance my kingdom. It's amazing. It says that the whole imperial guard begins to hear the gospel. Why? Because these soldiers are chained to Paul and Paul can't keep his mouth shut. Man, I'd hate to be these guys standing before God one day, the day of judgment. Can you imagine what they're responsible for? I mean, the amount of information that they were given. Look in verse 17. After three days... He called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, I just want to stop right there for a minute. I love Paul. I mean, this guy, he's been shipwrecked. He's been on this long voyage. Third ship finally makes it to Rome. He rests for three days. <laughs> and I'm sure he wasn't even resting. He was probably busy pulling together some of the leaders, finding out the context of what's going on. Just three days, and all of a sudden, Paul is pulling together the, the leaders there among the local leaders of the Jews And he continues with his original plan. First to go to the Jew, and then to go to the Gentiles. Because he knew if he went to the Gentiles first, the Jews wouldn't listen. And so he goes to the Jews first. And then we pick up in 17 through 22. Paul's making his defense now for the sixth time. Listen, folks, the sixth time. Do you ever feel like you're alone? Do you ever feel like you're misunderstood? Do you ever feel like, I'm just an alien? Like, people don't get me. They don't get my faith. They don't understand what God is doing in my life. If you do, then you can identify with Paul. Paul is making his defense now for the sixth time. And and as he does, he he brings uh, these Jewish leaders together. And, And the funny thing is there's no real charges that are against him. Uh, the Roman leadership there is in this really tense position because uh, Paul has he shared his testimony or he shared his defense five different times and they can't really let him go, although they also don't have anything against him. But if they let him go, they know there'll be riots because all the Jews want to put Paul to death. But there's really no evidence of any wrongdoing. And so he's kept here under lock and key. And look at what Paul says in verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is, it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And I've got to believe that Paul probably held his hand up when he said, I'm wearing this chain. Why? For the hope of Israel. What's he talking about? He's referring back to the coming Messiah. He's referring back to the coming resurrection and the awakening of the dead who would share in the kingdom of God. And that's something that the Jews held strongly in their belief. All the way back throughout the Old Testament, you can see prophecies. You can see shadows of Jesus coming and Messiah, but you can also see just direct prophecies. You read through the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Job. Uh, Job chapter. Let me read you one verse. Job 19, verse 26. It's thought that Job could be uh, one of the oldest books in all the Bible. Um, Job chapter 19, verse 26, in which he says, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. What's Job talking about? He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about hope to come. That this life is not the end. And Jews held on to that. And Paul says, it's for this hope that I am being held prisoner. What hope? The hope of Jesus Because Paul's trying to get them to understand the man who you crucified, who we 
have witnessed who rose from the dead, He is the Lord. He is God. And Jews, while you're waiting on a Messiah, and you're waiting on a hope, and you're waiting on a Savior, which, by the way, is what all the world is waiting on today. They're waiting on a rescuer. They're waiting on a Savior. They're waiting on a hope, a happiness. They might not put it in a person, or they might not associate it with God. They might look for it in drugs, or in a relationship, in another man, in another woman. They might look for it in their job, or in a car, or a house, or in wealth or in power, or influence, but all of us, we're looking for a hope, and Paul is saying that hope is Jesus. It's Jesus. There's nothing else that will satisfy you. He is the hope. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And Paul's pointing them to that in verse 20. Now, we pick up in verses 21 through 22. Their response. They say there's no evidence against Paul uh, because the witnesses haven't been able to make it there. Paul and his crew came in the winter, and so the witnesses haven't been able to sail from Jerusalem. And there seems to be a genuine curiosity about Paul's teaching because they say it's spoken against everywhere. And here's the thing that's interesting to me. Even though these Jews most likely disagree with Paul, they're still interested in hearing. I think that's something that we need to grab hold of. Because for some of you, or many of you, a lot of your friends, neighbors, and co-workers, they say that they disagree with you, but there's something that they find interesting about your life. And you need to take heart in that around the lunch table, uh, when you're headed out after work, and, and maybe you're going out in, in order to happy hour, dinner, go home, you're having conversations. You need to remember that. There's something that they're curious about. There's a door for the gospel there. I want to share with you really quickly as we wrap up these last verses, verses 23 through 31, how this story continues. Because there's some amazing evidence in Paul's life of how the story continues and how it continues, I think, for each of our lives. How the story continues. Look in verse 23. The first point is this. We should be passionate evangelists. Look at the passion that Paul has. In verse 23, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Don't miss that. In verse 23, listen, I know we're already like two-thirds of the way done with the message. Just because I said point one doesn't mean that we're going to be going a lot longer, okay? We're just hitting the back end of the passage, and this is where I really want to pull points from. So don't, don't worry. We're going to get to lunch on time. We should be passionate evangelists. Paul is trying to convince them about Jesus. Paul was passionate about Jesus. He was passionate. Let me ask you this. Who are the people you know who are passionate about their marriages? Newlyweds? And people who work on their relationship and spend time together and are diligent in order that they would make time for one another. And I think the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. New Christians, they're passionate about Jesus. And so many of us who are maybe a little more mature in our faith or we've known Jesus for a little longer, we look at new Christians and we say, oh, bless their little hearts. They're so excited. I remember one friend that I had in Nashville, uh, Robert knows this story. Uh, he either called Robert or myself, I can't remember. And he, he said, Brad! Have you heard of this story about Jonah? This is amazing. This guy was swallowed by a fish. 
I've never heard this before. And the fish spit him out on dry land. And he went and he shared the gospel. He was an evangelist. I've never heard this. is amazing. Yes, Tony, Jonah. That's one of the major stories about the Bible. I hate you missed that as a kid. Um, but we, we just get so excited. And we should. We should be passionate about Jesus. And as we mature, we should continue to be passionate about Jesus. Sometimes our passion doesn't look the same, but it ought to have greater depth to it. And let me just encourage you, if you're not passionate about Jesus, let me ask you why. Could it be that you're not spending time with Him? Could it be that you're not being intentional? Could it be that you have allowed your heart to become passionate about other things? a really simple principle. We do what we love. We do what we love. I hate this time of the year in some ways because I see men and women who claim to love Jesus in all their Facebook posts and all their Instagram posts and everything about their life. Their entire weekends are surrounded around a camper and a trip to a football stadium where they worship their team with all their might, and we might see them when football season is over. But they love Jesus. No, they don't. They don't. They love their football team. They love their football team more than they love Jesus. And I'm not just trying to get folks to show up at a Sunday gathering. That's not what it's about. Being a Christian is not just about coming here on Sunday and worshiping for a couple of hours. Listen, folks. We do what we love. And I'm so encouraged today because if you, I looked around this room earlier and, and we, were, we were talking, we were setting up, and somebody said, uh, well, we'll be low today because it's Labor Day weekend. And uh, I said, I don't know. Uh, with our church, it's hard to tell. Like holidays, you know, it, we're just kind of non-traditional, but this is what I love. It's Labor Day weekend and you're here. Now listen, there's nothing wrong if you take a vacation every now and then we're not expected to be here 52 out of 52 Sundays of the year, okay? I'm not. But I am encouraged when I see people regularly showing up, not because I'm a great preacher and not because Andrew's a great song leader, but when I show people, well, see people showing up even on a holiday weekend because they love Jesus and they love being a part of the church. And they say, where else would I be? We do what we love. And Paul was passionate about Jesus. And he talked about Jesus over and over again. And he was trying to convince them. He was trying to convince them of, of belief in Jesus. Listen, folks, most of us need to be more passionate about Jesus than we are. I mean, there's been in the past where sometimes we'll see folks with their bullhorns screaming at people down you know, on Bill Street. And that's not what I'm talking about. But we need to be more passionate about Jesus than we are. Some of us, when, we, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we act like we're offering people Coke or Pepsi. No. There's so much more at stake than that. Paul isn't lackadaisical. He is passionate. He is trying to convince them. His desire is that people would come to know Jesus. That the Son of they would see Him as Son of God, that they would worship Him with all their lives. Let me keep moving. We should be passionate evangelists. That's how the story continues. Also, in verse 23, we, we should learn the story of God and be prepared to share it. We should learn the story of God and be prepared to share it. He's, in verse 23, it says, From morning till evening, that he talked to them from the law of Moses and the prophets. This isn't a three-minute evangelistic spiel. Now, 
I'm not against three-minute evangelistic spills. Sometimes that's all we have. We should have a stump speech, if you will. We should be able to explain within a minute or two what the gospel is and why we love Jesus. But at the same time, we see Paul, and he is sharing an overarching story of the Scriptures. That he's pointing back to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. He's showing them uh, how the story of God points to the Messiah who would come. And it's so important that we learn the story of God. And, And we talk through it in our missional communities, that we encourage each of our missional communities during some time of the year that they take 10 weeks and we go through a narrative in which we tell the story of God. It's so important for non believers and for believers. And I know some of you who've been through the story of God, you're like, I know it. You don't. You don't. You can't tell it. Ask some of our friends who went to Africa just a month ago. We sat down with individuals and they would say, we would talk to them, ask them questions. Uh, What do you know about the Bible? Not much. Uh, Do you know the story of Adam and Eve? No, I've never heard of that. Do you know this? Have you heard of Jesus? No. Okay. Well, let's take a step back and let's start over. When somebody doesn't know the story of creation and they don't know about Jesus, you can't go, well, Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. No, you've got you to gotta take the story. You've got to rewind a little bit. And for most of us, we think we know the story of the Bible. We're like, I know the story of Noah's Ark, and I learned that as a kid. It was on my wall around my little crib. That's not the story of Noah's Ark. You had a beautiful little Noah's Ark and his animals. Folks, everybody died. Everybody but Noah and his family. It's a horrible story of God's judgment, but His grace upon one group of people. That's not the story. And over and over again, I hear our people go, Oh, I know the story of God. I'm like, you do? Well, why don't you start at creation and march us all the way to Jesus' resurrection? Why don't you take the next hour and do that? And let's see how you do with the prophets. And let's see how you do um, walking through some of the Gospels. Let's see how that goes for you. We all need to learn the story of God. Believers. Even more importantly, non-believers need to understand the story of God. Because listen, the story of God's amazing. It begins with paradise. And it ends with paradise. And Paul knew that. And he walks people through this story. We should learn the story of God. We should be prepared to share it. If you're in a missional community, you'll walk through the story of God. And guess what? This is what I've decided in my group. When my group says, oh, we really don't want to do, we really don't want to hear the story again. It's kind of boring. I'm like, that's fine. You're going to do it this week. Here it is. You're in charge of the narrative this week. Make it good. We're listening. All right, that's what we're doing because it's an amazing story. And we allow it to grow old. We think it's just details, but when we really get into the story of God, we realize the grace of Jesus all throughout the story. All right, let's keep moving. In order to see the story continue, we need to be passionate evangelists. We need to learn the story of God and be prepared to share it. But we also should know that many will reject, but some will believe. This is encouraging to me because over and over again, people that I'm around reject following Jesus, but some believe. And the same was true for Paul. Look in verse 24. Some believed, others rejected. The book of Acts is the final warning to the people of Israel, the final chapter and scene of God striving with Israel, at least for a moment. 
Because of Israel's rejection, the gospel is being sent now to the Gentiles who the scriptures say prophetically, and this should encourage us, they will listen. That means when you go out and when you invite friends to come to this gathering and say, come and hear about Jesus, or when you ask them, hey, what's your understanding of God? When you begin to have gospel conversations with people, the scriptures tell us emphatically, dogmatically, there is a promise that says some of them will believe. That's like telling a salesman when he goes out, and he says, man, I don't want to go door to door and knock on doors. It's like telling a salesman, I guarantee you today, if you knock on doors, some will believe. Some will purchase. You will make some sales. The, the scriptures guarantee it. Look in uh, verse 30, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And we see people listening. The story's continued. How do I know people will listen? Because there's about 80 people who are here today and our church started with five. People have listened over the last five years. And the story continues. We see this same text that Paul quotes from Isaiah. We see it over and over and over again. And we don't have time to really dig into it. We could write a whole message on this one text from Isaiah. But there is a warning in this text. Because Jesus preached the same text. We see it in John. We see it in Matthew. Isaiah originally said these words prophetically from the Holy Spirit. And now Paul says it. Man, you talk about redundancy. This is redundant in verse 26 and 27. And Paul seems to be saying that Israel's unwilling belief turned to sovereign unbelief. Let me say that again. He seems to be saying that Israel's unwilling belief Turn to sovereign unbelief. What do I mean by that? He who will not believe may find one day that he cannot believe. That's what the book of Isaiah is saying. Jesus eventually turns people over to the desires of their heart, and the desires of their heart is to run from Him. You say, how does that work? I don't pretend to understand how it works. But there's a warning to us in these verses from Isaiah that there may come a time where if you, for long enough, reject the Lord, the Lord may say, fine, I'm going to give you over to your heart's desire. You say, what does that mean? It means that today is a day of repentance, that we should be passionate evangelists, and that we should encourage people to believe, not tomorrow, but today. Without Jesus, there's no hope. There's no life. There's no forgiveness. There's no resurrection. There's no heaven. There's no life with God, but only suffering in what the Scriptures call a place called hell, in which Jesus described with great horror and utter agony. You say, why do you talk about hell? Because we need to be passionate evangelists. We need to be reminded that there's more at stake than Coke and Pepsi here. All of eternity is at stake, and Paul knew that. So you ask, well, what happened to Paul? I mean, we just kind of finished this story, and says that he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What happened to Paul? Let me, let me fill you in real quick because I know you're probably curious. Paul stays in prison for a couple of years and uh, there's a lot of extra biblical writings historically throughout uh, antiquities that we have a pretty clear picture of what happened. Most likely the evidence never got there. They could only hold him for a couple of years, even though the court systems were really backed up. No evidence came against him. Paul was released. 
Paul continued to do ministry for two to three years. He was then arrested again. It was during that time during his arrest that he wrote amazing books um, like First and Second Timothy and Titus and Hebrews. And then it was during that period that Nero went from being a just ruler and one who seemed fairly organized and level-headed to being cuckoo. And it is said throughout history that Nero burned Rome, literally had the fire set and played his fiddle as he watched it burn. Christians were then blamed for that, and Peter and Paul were both killed. Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus Christ, his Lord and King, had been crucified. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, was simply beheaded. That's what happened to Paul. But the story didn't end. The story continues. The, I love the way in which Paul explains, or rather Luke, at least in Acts, explains the next two years. Look in verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You get that? with all boldness and without hindrance. What? That's simply amazing. Paul, with chains on, under house arrest, is bold, and the gospel continues to go forth without hindrance. There's only one conclusion you can make from that. The power of the gospel is at work through the Holy Spirit in such a way that even chains cannot hold the gospel back. We ought to be encouraged by that, folks. We ought to be encouraged by the fact that we are part of the family of God and that the kingdom of God is moving forward in such a way that it is not about our might and our power, but that the, the Spirit of God is at work. And even when we are under physical chains, that the gospel continues to move forward boldly without hindrance when we are obedient to all that God, to all that God calls us to do. Oh, may the Holy Spirit grant us that kind of boldness. And may He move in power through Midtown in both small and awesome ways that we would never allow our circumstances to hinder the gospel. We're going to end this book today in what I hope is an encouraging way to you. I'm going to ask Chris, who is our um, pastor over missional communities. He helps coach our missional communities and um, shepherd them. I'm going to ask him if he would come up and today, we are going to commission um, our fourth missional community who's going out. If you say, what's a missional community? Uh, we're a group of servants and learners who are on mission together. So we meet together throughout the week. We eat together. Uh, we have a, a mission in which we all have locked arms and said, we hope that by God's grace, uh, either this particular people or this particular place are changed by the gospel in the next year. And uh, we meet together and as a family uh, in the scriptures we're discipled and we seek to be on mission together and our hope is that those groups would multiply and, and expand and we're seeing God do that so today we want to commission um, our fourth missional community so as the uh, as Brad preached about the story continuing I want to look back at a story from the Old Testament um, Israel was promised this promised land that God, all the way back to Abraham, gave this promise uh, to Abraham and to Israel that they would, they, would have, that they would be a people 
uh, a, a people that he would, his people, they proclaim the good news of, of God, that he would be their provider, that he would be their Lord, that he would be their God. And he promised this promised land to them. Well, years and years and years and years had passed. And God used Moses to, to bring Israel out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery. He rescued them. There's a story of them going through, through the Red Sea, God parting the Red Sea, walking on dry ground. Well, they get through all that, and, and through uh, some, some bad choices, they end up having to wander the wilderness for, for 40 years. And in that time, all the old people, all the elders, all the leaders, including Moses, die away. Joshua remains, because Joshua was faithful. And, uh, and right before they get to go to the Promised Land, right before they get to enter, uh, they have one last thing in their way. God tells Joshua what they have to do, and their last thing in their way is the Jordan River. On the other side of the river is their promised land. On the other side is where God had promised them. On the other side is where God had sent them long ago, years before. But they have this river in their way. And, uh, and, and God, through his power, through his might, tells them what to do. And, uh, and he tells them to pass through the Jordan River. And, he does, and, and what God does is just like he did with the Red Sea, but we tend to forget about the, 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 the Jordan River. God splits the Jordan River, and they walk across on dry ground. And as they're walking across, he tells, he tells the leaders, and he tells Joshua, God tells Joshua, talk to your leaders and tell them to pick up 12 stones from, from the bottom of the river. And take those stones and put them on the other side of the river where you camp. And he does this, and it seems like an odd request, you know, I mean, if I'm picking up stones, I'm picking up just big enough for me to carry, you know, not too big, not too little, nothing that I fit in my pocket. We'll pick up 12 stones, and they take it across, and they, they leave it on the other side. As soon as, as, soon as the ark, God's uh, holiness, as soon as it passes the river and, and steps on, 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 the, on the bed, the river comes back. just goes back to the way it was. So they have walked, and they have crossed the River Jordan uh, on dry ground. It's a pretty cool story. And these 12 stones weren't anything special. They were stones from the riverbed. But God put them there for a purpose. And I want to read to you that purpose really quick this morning. And just uh, listen to these words that Joshua says to Israel as, as, uh, as God has told Joshua to say. And here's the reason. In uh, Joshua chapter 4, it says, When your children and their fathers in times to come they're going to ask this question. They're going to ask about these 12 stones, and they're going to say, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now the purpose of these 12 stones was to always look at and say and to see that God did something amazing here. That God did a mighty work at this river, at this stack of, of normal stones that were pulled out of the riverbed. That God did something really, really cool and really exciting and really amazing. We can look back and see what God has done. So this morning, as we commission a new missional community, this is, this is for them to remember, for, for them to know that we've, 
we've come around them, that we support them, that we celebrate them, that we, we uh, approve them as leaders, but it's also for you guys sitting in the seats. For you guys to remember that this moment that God is doing something incredible. Multiplication isn't just, um, it's just not a math equation. Multiplication is exciting because it shows that God has been at work, that God is active, and that God is continuing to work through the lives of Mercy Hill Church. So Matt and Peter, I'm going to ask you and your, your MC to come on up down here below. And in a moment, Jared, I'm going to ask your MC to come pray and lay your hands on them. We're, we're really excited about, about this. Uh, this, for those of you who don't know, this is two years in the, in the making. We had this scheduled a year ago, uh, over a year ago, and some triplets came into the, into the, the, the story and kind of, we had to throw the, the, the emergency break up a little bit. Um, and that's okay because, because now we have an MC with shared leadership. Matt and Peter and Lori and Tiffany are, are leaders together. So when we talk about their MC, we're trying to be very disciplined and say that this is the, the Nason Braswell missional community. Uh, huh? Brayson? Oh, you guys have a name? Oh, okay. So this is the Brayson. Okay. Wow, that, that confused me. This is the Brayson MC, which is Braswell and Nason together. That's really funny. Um, that's great. They have a name. Uh, that's important. It's not just language. Uh, we want the leadership to be shared. We want, we, we, even in our MCs where, where um, it's the, the Dunlap MC or the Stigler MC or the, um, the Stewart MC, we want to have shared leadership. And so going forward, we're going to be disciplined and intentional with saying that the leadership is shared in our MCs, even in the name in which we name them, the Brayson MC. Um, so this is really exciting. Now, uh, each MC, they're, they're, they're multiplying out of Jared's MC, and each MC has a different, although same or similar, uh, mission. We multiply out of, uh, with a mission, not just a, a popularity contest or not just how good of a leader you are, but, but Matt and Tiffany and, and Peter and Lori have a, have a mission that they have shared with their MC. And these people have come around that mission and said, we're part of that mission. We want to be part of that. And so their mission this morning, just so I, let me look at my notes to make sure that I uh, communicate it correctly. Uh, the Brayson MC's mission is serving and loving the moms who are placed in the, in the Barksdale house and in safe families by building relationships with the moms and, and, and helping with, with needs that, that, that may come up. So they're going to focus their attention on, on the moms there at the Safe Families Home and other moms that are in, in Safe Families at the Barksdale House. Uh, Stigler's MC is similar. Their MC's mission is going to be serving and loving the children and host families of, of Safe Families. So those children that are placed and also the extended family. So trying to really minister to the kids and, these, and this MC is going to be ministering to the adults and the moms specifically. So this is really exciting. So uh, as I mentioned, we don't want to multiply a missional community because out of, uh, out of a, a talented leader or uh, somebody who's really awesome at speaking or communicating, we want to make sure that they have a mission and that people can gather around that mission. And so that's, we're really excited about this. Now, Jared, I'm going to ask your MC to come on up and lay hands on, on, on this MC. Um, if you're a part of their MC, if you visited their MC and you want to come up, 
Um, so for, for Matt and for Peter, as you guys lead, and your, and your wives as you, as you lead, um, this, is, this is a 12-stone moment. This, though it's, it's standing in the circuit playhouse, this is a 12-stone moment for you guys to remember that God has worked a, a great work up to this point, and that God is going to continue the story through your MC, through your mission, and through Mercy Hill Church. Um, your missions as your MCs, both Jared's and uh, Brayson's MCs, are much larger than, than, than yourselves, much bigger than what you guys can, can handle. And that's probably, that's where it needs to be. We need to be dependent on God and not on our abilities or, or skills. And so, uh, so guys, lay hands on them. Let me pray for them and we pray over you guys. And then, uh, and then Brad's going to come up, right? No. No, music. Well, uh, music's good. We're going to sing another song. All right, let's, let's pray together. You guys, join us in praying for this, for this family, uh, these two MCs that are now multiplying. And, uh, and, and pray for them to be a family, not just a group of people together. Father, we are thankful for your work this morning. We're thankful that, that, that there's evidence of your work, your great work in the lives of, this, of these two MCs. The call that you've placed on their lives, God, I pray that you make it clear that they can always come back to and remember. That they can come back to and remember even this moment, like the 12 stones of the River Jordan, that they can look back and say that you've done a great work and that you are doing a great work in the lives of Brayson MC and Stigler Jacobs MC. I'm grateful for this, this time, this opportunity, and for, for what you're doing. I pray, God, that your mission would continue and that your kingdom would advance through the lives of, of these people. That the families, the moms who would be in that home would feel loved and cared for, not just provided for, not just their needs met, but they would really feel loved and cared for. That the kids, as they're placed in strangers' homes, that they would feel loved and that they would feel cared for. And God, as, as schedules get hectic, as lives get, get crazy, that you would bond and bind these two MCs together. The Brayson MC, you would bind them together to be family, to be there for one another as things get hard. As the, the Stigler Jacobs MC, that you would bind them together and them to continue to be family. God, we know through Jesus that we are adopted and we are part of your family, and I pray that the world around us would see that clearly through the lives of these MCs. We celebrate what you're doing and what you're going to do as the story continues. And God, we pray this in the glorious, victorious name of Jesus, who is advancing and even working this morning. In his name we pray. Amen.
One minute, if I can stand here and not get feedback. Let me ask Jonathan and Amber if they would just come forward. Jonathan and Amber, it's their last Sunday to worship with us. Um, as we prepare to leave, we want to pray over them. Uh, many of you know Jonathan and Amber really well. Um, if you don't, uh, Jonathan has been at SOS for the last two, three years, and a lot of folks um, know him as, as one of the camp directors at SOS, Amber. Uh, some of you may not have known has been our administrative assistant for the last year. And uh, there, are, there are individuals and people that I have found um, come into our lives and some walk with us for a long period of time and others are only there for a season. But there are times in which you see that God has put them there for a specific season. And uh, I look in our life and see that God has put your family, um, I think both us in your lives and you guys definitely in our lives for a specific season and a time and a calling. And Amber, I just want to say we're so grateful for the way you've served our body. Um, no one knows, but you've taken care of all the administrative details that, uh, that are really foundational and important, but that probably no one understands. And so we're so grateful for how you've helped us um, administratively take steps forward. And um, we just want to uh, pray over you guys today as you, their truck is packed. We helped pack it up yesterday and I loved it. Their termite guy was working on the house and he said, I don't even think he was joking. He said, you guys don't even, <laughs> he said, you don't even have to pay me. Just give me your contact list. Man, who are all these people who are helping you guys move? And uh, Jonathan said, it's so funny, whenever we move, people always remark, oh my goodness, how do you get all this moving help? And he's like, it's just the church. 
that's what we do. And I love that. So we're going to pray over you guys and uh, we're going to send you guys out. Father, we love the King family and we pray over them this day that your blessings would be upon them as they travel. We pray for safe travels. God, we're thankful for the work that you've done in their lives and the way that you've used them to help to sharpen us. And as we send them out, we send them out knowing that they will continue to be a part of your kingdom that is moving forward in Champaign, Illinois. God, we pray you'd meet every need that they have. God, we pray that you would use them mightily for your sake and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And let me send you out with a benediction today. Takesha, can you put the benediction on the screen for me from 2 Corinthians 9, 8? So receive this blessing today. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Be blessed. You're dismissed.